Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, The Death and Resurrection of Jesus. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 28, verses 5 to 10, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The First Eyewitnesses. The Christian message, the message of the gospel, the message that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that on the third day he was raised, you know, that message is not a philosophy or merely a set of religious beliefs. This message is a message of what actually occurred in real history. 2,000 years ago in the nation of Israel, a man who had preached about the kingdom of God was crucified on a Roman cross, and then he rose from the dead. If you struggle to believe that it is so, you need to consider the evidence left behind from the eyewitnesses who not only saw it, but left a written record of what they saw. We're studying the book of Matthew. We've come to chapter 28. That's the last chapter of the book. Matthew has already told us that when it came to the actual event that Jesus rose from the dead, that his dead body was not only raised, but it was transformed to the body of the age to come that in glorious fashion, the future age invaded the present when Jesus rose from his tomb. Indeed, it needs to be admitted from Matthew and the other eyewitnesses that there was no one to actually see that. If Matthew was fabricating this, surely wouldn't he have said we all saw it? But he's a faithful historian. He doesn't invent stories. Rather, he invites us to consider what he knows to be true. As Matthew tells the story, it's Sunday morning. The Jewish Passover is over, as well as the Jewish Sabbath. There were a group of women. Matthew identifies two of them, but other writers tell us there were more. They had witnessed Jesus die on the cross on Friday, and then they were also there when Joseph of Arimathea laid the body in his new tomb. But the women had determined that when the Sabbath was over, they would come back to the tomb. They would find a way to roll the stone aside. They would anoint the body of Jesus properly. That's an important detail. It has to be remembered that Jesus had predicted that he would rise from the dead. And my sense is that even though he had been specific about it, that both the disciples and these faithful women had either thought that Jesus was speaking metaphorically or that he was perhaps referring to the resurrection in the last days. I think this is an important detail so that we don't think that either the disciples or these women were gullible. They're not. Yet they had seen astonishing miracles, and they had come to believe in Jesus. One of the women, Mary Magdalene, had been demon-possessed. Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. He had given her freedom. They had believed in him, but they were also realists. Once Jesus had been crucified, He was gone. He was dead. They went to the tomb on Sunday morning, expecting no more than to find someone to help them remove the stone. Then they would anoint the body, and they would treat it with the dignity it deserved. Then they would close the stone. Then they would go home, and then they'd find a way to get on with the rest of their lives. There was no expectation beyond that. And as we've seen, unknown to the women, Pilate had given orders, and he had been urged on by the chief priest to put a Roman guard at the tomb so that it wouldn't be disturbed and there would be no crazy rumors. By the time the women got there, 
loaded down with the spices they wanted to apply to the body, Jesus had already arisen. An angel had also scattered the guard and rolled away the stone. It was done in that fashion to showcase the tomb was empty, and so the women arrive. The stones rolled away. The tomb is wide open, and the women amazingly will then face one of God's angels. And given that Matthew has already described this angel as exhibiting a brilliant light, the women would have been frightened by what they saw as the Roman soldiers had been, and they would also have fled the scene. So I'm reading Matthew 28, 5 and 6. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Notice the two sayings of the angel. The first is, don't be afraid. Now, before we go further, I think it's necessary to point out that Luke gives us a slightly different account. So here I'm reading Luke 24, 1 to 6. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. See, on the one hand, Luke gives us an expanded account. But now we should, in our study of these chapters of Matthew, remember that Matthew, who gives us often a shorter and less detailed account, and Luke, as well as John, expands on that. So there's nothing unusual in that part. But notice that in Luke's account, he mentions two angels rather than one. So what accounts for that? And the answer in my reading is somewhat complex. Because we should also notice that in Matthew's account, the women at first meet the angel, they're afraid, and they're told not to be afraid. And then he tells them the second piece of news. He says, I know why you're here. You're seeking the body of the crucified Jesus so that you might anoint him. But, says the angel, he's not here. He's risen. And then he invites them into the tomb. As we know from the other accounts, they see the grave cloths of Jesus. They're neatly folded and laid on the bench where Jesus had been laid. And the point would be that if this had been the disciples who had stolen the body, well, they'd hardly untied him from his grave clothes. The same would be true if it had been grave robbers. I mean, why would anyone untie the grave clothes and then fold them so neatly in the tomb? They wouldn't. So the angel invites the women into the tomb, and he calls them to examine thoroughly what they see. But notice in Luke's account, they get to the tomb, they find it empty, they go in, and then after that, they encounter two angels in dazzling white. See, it's different. Is that a contradiction? I, no, it's not. See, the wonderful thing about having more than one account is that when the accounts differ, it proves to us that the accounts aren't a product of collusion, but they're rather real eyewitnesses who are writing what they know and what they have found from their interviews. But they remember things differently. And it seems clear to me that the first angel, the one they encounter at the tomb, the one that Matthew mentions, must be different from the two angels that are inside the tomb, the ones Luke mentions. And so the first is the angel on the outside of the tomb. He invites them to go in, and then when they're inside, they encounter two different angels. So at any rate, there are three angels. 
Let's let Matthew tell the story. I'm reading Matthew 28, 5 to 8. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. So, first, the women are reassured. Don't fear. Examine the evidence. Spend time in the empty tomb, and they'll come to the right conclusion. And then comes the announcement. He's not here. Yeah, the women see that. And then he's risen. That is, Jesus has done exactly that which he said he would do. He's risen. Examine the evidence. Now let's stop here for a moment and see if we can answer the question that you may have asked yourself. Why didn't Jesus rise from the dead in full view of the disciples and of these women? I mean, why at the outset, instead of seeing and believing, are they to examine the evidence? I think the answer is that what they experience is a template for us. What we are to do many years later, the fact is that even if Jesus was to have been raised in view of the disciples and the women, it would still have been the case that every successive generation would be required to examine the evidence afresh. And so in that way, the women and the disciples were required to do what we are required to do in our day. Examine the evidence and examine it rightly. And so after the women examine the empty tomb, and after they see the two angels in the tomb, Then they are commanded to go find the disciples, and they're to tell the disciples to leave Jerusalem and to go to Galilee. No doubt they were supposed to go to Capernaum, Jesus' hometown. Just go there. Well, it turns out the disciples are also realists, and they didn't believe that dead men rise any more than these women did. So the disciples stayed in Jerusalem. They were afraid. They were frozen in place. That's a part of the account that we have to examine. There are no gullible people here. There are hard realists. The story of the resurrection is not the product of superstitious people. It is the story of people who are finally convinced by the evidence. So too, we must be convinced as well. Have you ever wanted to spend time in fellowship with Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, or even the leadership team behind them? Well, this is your chance. We invite you to join us on a cruise from April 5th to the 14th of 2024. Kicking off in Miami, we'll sail through several stunning locations within the Caribbean. The beautiful scenery combined with the Bible teaching of Dr. John, spiritual encouragement of Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and feature musical guests is a recipe for the vacation of a lifetime. This is a time to be refreshed on so many levels. So for more information, to download the itinerary, visit backtothebible.ca, call us at 1-800-663-2425, and please note that with all ministry travel events, no ministry funds are spent. All related costs are covered by participants. Matthew tells us that after the encounter, the women went with fear and great joy. (laughs) No doubt with fear. 
It had to do with the unsettling encounter with the angels. And joy, that had to do with the announcement that the evidence of the empty tomb. So they set out to find the disciples and tell them. Again, Matthew gives us the abbreviated version of this. John fills in some of the details regarding the experience of Mary Magdalene. So it seemed that Mary Magdalene had immediately left the group when she saw that the tomb was empty. She immediately ran away. But in the meantime, the rest of the women had encountered the angel and examined the tomb. And the rest of the women had become convinced that there was evidence for the resurrection. And it was overwhelming. And so Matthew tells us what the women experienced. That is, all the women with the exception of Mary Magdalene. So here I'm reading Matthew 28, 9 and 10. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And of course, that's what the women did. They found some of the disciples, and the results of their testimony, as we'll see, didn't convince them. But it also becomes clear that the first people to have seen the risen Jesus are the women who had followed Jesus. Many of them had supported him, but they had also been faithful to the cross to the very point of his death. They were also the first ones at the tomb on Sunday morning. So why did Jesus appear to the women first? Is there a reason for that? Well, neither Matthew nor the rest of the gospel writers tell us why. They simply mention that it occurred. It was a historical fact. The women were at the tomb first. They were at the cross last. They were the first eyewitnesses. You know, some have tried to make the case that the men had deserted Jesus, and so they were not given the privilege that was given the women. Well, perhaps, but the Bible never says so. I mean, after all, the men were seen as a potential threat. Their lives were in danger in a way that the women were not. And furthermore, since the chief priests had gone to Pilate and they'd warned that the men might mount a revolt and steal the body of Jesus, it would have seen that the men were marked for death. And so they went into hiding and the women did not have to. And so I think it's saying too much when we say that the women were more faithful than the men. I think it isn't true. I think that Jesus showed, however, uncommon grace to the women who were his followers. I mean, most of the rabbis of Jesus' day wouldn't have taught women. Jesus did. Jesus' appearance to the women also shows us that both men and women are given equal access to Jesus. You know, while Jesus would choose the men to be the leaders of his church, he didn't assign the women as inferiors, men and women. Both stand equally before the cross, and both stand equally before the resurrection. They're equally redeemed. They're equally loved. Jesus first appeared to the women to impress this matter in our hearts. And furthermore, it was the women that were to take the message of the resurrection to the men. But still, we need to take into account that, as John explains in his account, that Mary Magdalene had left. So before the rest had examined the empty tomb, she was already on her way to find Peter and John. They were the leaders of the apostolic band. They should know that the tomb was empty. And when she finds them, her words are clear. They've taken him away, she says. She doesn't specify who they are. I suppose one way of interpreting her words is to say that she thought the angels had taken them away. But I think it's unlikely she meant that. 
She must have meant the chief priests, the elders of Israel, maybe Pilate, maybe the Roman guard, maybe someone. But he's gone, she says, and she doesn't explain any more than that. Again, in her case, as is the case with the other women, Mary's not gullible. She doesn't suffer from easy believism. She's seen the stone rolled away, and that's it. She's devastated. And so Mary wasn't there when the other women had encountered Jesus and had taken hold of his feet. It simply means that the others had fallen on their faces before him, and they'd laid their hands on his feet. They'd worshiped. Mary wasn't there for that first worship of the resurrected Jesus. She'd already run away. Eventually, she finds Peter and John. The two men make their way to the tomb, but soon the urgency of it, the outrage of it, the emotions take over. They just begin to run. John is younger. He gets there first. He peers in. She's right. There's no body. Peter, he's huffing and puffing. He comes up behind him, always far more impulsive. He bursts into the tomb. He sees the grave clothes neatly folded. John, who wrote this account, simply confessed that neither he nor Peter understood the scripture and the prophecies that Christ would rise from the dead. John says he instantly believed that Jesus was raised, but Peter didn't because it's confusing. They leave without any answers. They wander back to Jerusalem. And on that day, after Peter and John had left the empty tomb, Mary is left alone standing beside the tomb. And as she stands there all alone, she simply starts to weep. She can't control the cascade of her emotions, the hopelessness, the despair, just rolling over her. And then still weeping, she looks deeply into the tomb for the first time. She walks right in and finds herself staring at two angels. She's speechless, and they speak, why are you weeping? And she begins to explain, they've taken him away. I don't know where he is. And then suddenly there's another man behind her, and she notices him. She doesn't even turn around. It must be the gardener. He quietly asks her, woman, why are you weeping? And she, without as much as looking up, as tears continue to flow, answers in the same way, they've taken him away. It's now so barren. She has so few words. And then the man says, Mary. How often she'd heard that voice before. That was the voice that had driven out her seven demons. That was the voice that had called her to follow him. When everyone else had rejected her, that was the voice that taught her about the kingdom of God. That was the voice that had healed the lame and the blind. That that was the voice that assured her that God loved her. That was the voice that had caused her to believe. And almost as if out of control, she whirls around and there, there stands not the gardener, but her Savior, Jesus. And all she can do is whisper, Rabboni, teacher. And Mary wants to cling to him, but he won't let her. He simply says, I have not yet ascended to my father. I think by that Jesus means that he's not yet gone up in the ascension. That means he's not leaving her immediately. He's going to be around for a while. It'll be 40 days. And then Jesus tells Mary exactly what he's told the other women. But you go to my brothers, tell them what you've seen. We know from the other gospel accounts, most specifically from Luke and John, that eventually Jesus would appear to all of the disciples. Paul also says that later on he would appear to his half-brother James. And on that encounter, James would come to believe. And then Paul says that on one occasion, he appeared to 500 at one time. And all that brings us back to the theme of the account of Matthew. Matthew wants to let us know that faith in the resurrection of Jesus didn't occur because pre-scientific, superstitious, and gullible, and easily suggestible people came to believe that Jesus was raised. It didn't happen that way. Matthew was there. He knew. Instead, skeptical people, both men and women, had come to terms with overwhelming evidence of the resurrection. 
and because we also know that of the 11 disciples left, later to be joined by Paul, who encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, all of them, with the exception of John, would eventually die a martyr's death because of their faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Not one of them broke ranks. Not one of them said, it didn't happen, I want to save my life. Not one of them hesitated to follow Jesus unto death, for they were convinced in the resurrection of Jesus, and they were convinced that death had been defeated. And so Matthew leaves us, as do the other gospel writers, with the similarity between them and us. They didn't see Jesus rise from the dead, and neither did we. In the end, these men did, however, see the resurrected Jesus, and they were eyewitnesses, and they were truly convinced that he was alive. In that sense, they're very different from us. But in this sense, we are very similar to them. We, like they, are invited to come and examine the evidence, recognize that the tomb was empty, recognized that the tomb had been guarded by a Roman guard commissioned by Pilate, who knew that if they abandoned their post, they would die. Examine the evidence that the grave clothes of Jesus were left neatly folded in the tomb. Examine the evidence that the women who did not believe that Jesus would rise became convinced by their encounter with him. Examine the evidence that all of the disciples also encountered him, and their conviction led them not to fear even martyrdom. That's Easter. The evidence is overwhelming. Jesus has died. He was buried. And he was raised from the dead. Thanks, John. Let me ask you a real quick question, maybe not a simple one. But if not for the resurrection, where is the Christian faith? Yeah, the answer is there is no Christian faith. It just has to continually be said that everything, you know, rises or falls on this one event. Take this one event away, and I don't care. I mean, you know, people talk about the, you know, moral teachings of the Christian faith, all the good stuff that came, but then it's all premised on a lie. It all builds on this one, one fact of history. The tomb is empty. Christ was seen by those who were witnesses of these events, and they accurately recorded it. And so we know for a certain that we will rise along with Jesus and that we have a secure hope. That is our faith. That's the centerpiece of all of it. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Death and Resurrection of Jesus, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Jesus has entrusted his followers with the sacred mission to make disciples of all nations. Together we share this duty to shepherd the millions of lost souls to the saving truths found in God's word. But in order to effectively disciple hearts into a dynamic relationship with the Lord, we need to be well equipped to evangelize the unsaved. It's not just about knowing how to share our faith, but being ready to share it when the opportunity comes. This is why Back to the Bible Canada is pleased to offer a booklet called Before You Share Your Faith by Matt Smethurst. This resource guides us through five crucial elements that will give us the tools to be evangelism ready. 
So request your free copy today by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.